good singing. You may be seated. I guess I should say as well on the back of the bulletin, uh, Linda Kraft, happy birthday to her tomorrow. She will join her gal pal, Miss Judy Scott, in turning 80. You get to a certain point, and I guess ladies don't care that we mention their age. Uh, she told me, she goes, you know, Pastor, I'm turning 80. I said, okay, can I say that? Yes. Anyway, and then uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say to my dad, happy birthday on Tuesday. And so uh, it's a busy week around our house. We have to buy Papaw presents soon. Anyway. Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Psalm 150. We're going to begin tonight and go throughout all of this year looking at the Psalms. In fact, we're calling it Sunday in the Psalms is our study. I'm not the only one teaching on them. I will for several weeks to kick the year off, and I'll explain that towards the end But there are several men who are taking psalms and teaching them throughout the year, and I am very much looking forward to this study. And so what I've done tonight is I'm just going to teach an overview. Uh, When we look at the psalms, there's a lot to consume. Uh, Oddly enough, no one selected Psalm 119. When the call went out around July for people to pick psalms that they wanted to teach, none of the men got back to Brother Roger and said, I... I will tackle Psalm 119. Nobody did. Um, And I'm not either, so uh, just simply to note it. But tonight what I want to do is I want to give us an overview of the book of Psalms. Why is it so important? Uh, All of us know it's important, but what I want to do tonight is look into some Psalms, kind of airdrop into some of the Psalms, look at them, and then kind of pull back out so that I don't teach too much, especially... Uh, On two of the psalms we'll look at tonight, men have selected, so I certainly don't want to teach their lesson, but I want to give us perspective so that we can come eagerly Sunday evening after Sunday evening during this edification time uh, and be challenged from the Word of God. Uh, What we'll probably will do once we're done with mine, mine are going to be easy over the next eight weeks or so, I'm just preaching the songs of degrees from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. They would sing those psalms as they went up to the temple to worship every year, and they're called the songs of degrees, and I'll mention a little bit more detail in a moment. I would encourage you, every time you come, if you know what psalm it is, read it that week. There is no greater value to you as a student or a learner, a disciple, than to come prepared with the material. Uh, That way the person who is here standing and breaking the bread of life for you has more ability to teach and the Spirit of God has more freedom to work. Tonight, let's just read Psalm 150. Now, you're going to pick up a theme, especially if you really look from Psalm 146 to 150. There's one thought that comes up over and over, but I think this psalm gives us the picture of what all of the psalms are about. So let's read it together. We'll pray. And then we'll jump into really kind of an overview survey of all of the Psalms tonight. The Bible says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. That word firmament means the expanse or the breadth of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath 
Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. You kind of get the idea that the writer of this psalm was just happy to worship Almighty God. Let's open in a word of prayer and we'll look at the psalms tonight. Father, I thank you for this wonderful book within this wonderful book. I pray that you'll help us as we come to understand broadly tonight this book of songs, that which the Hebrews would sing joyfully to to you or mournfully to you or reflectively or introspectively in every capacity. As they sang these songs, they taught them truths. It's the value of good music. I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to see the Psalms tonight. Perhaps we've never seen the Psalms in the light that we will tonight. I pray that we would see their value, their worth, and their structure tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalms is a a collection of lyrical poems. It is only one of two Old Testament books to identify itself as a composite or a compiled work that contains multiple authors. Proverbs is the other one. Now, Some could argue the last two chapters of Proverbs are just pseudonyms or other names for Solomon, but the Proverbs 31 woman is spoken of by King Lemuel. So Psalms has some names attached to it that we need to know as we begin tonight. Psalms is that collection uh, that comes together with at least six, possibly seven or more authors. The titles of Psalms credit David with giving us 73 of them. Two other psalms are assigned to him in the New Testament that he didn't have assigned to himself, Psalm 2 and Psalm 95. Asaph was the author of 12 of our psalms, or at least he's responsible for their preservation. Thus, he gets the title of the one who recorded them. The sons of Korah, as you read the psalms, wrote 11 of them, Psalm 42, 44 through 49, 84, 5, 87, and 88. Solomon, we're told, composed two psalms, 72 and Psalm 127. Psalm 89 is attributed to Ethan, not Ethan in our church, but an Ethan in the Bible, whomever that Ethan was. Moses is the author of Psalm 90 and possibly of Psalm 91. The psalms themselves are organized into five unique books. If you were to open the uh, the psalms and you were a Hebrew reader, you would see that the psalms were given to you in five unique books. It would be like being given five hymn books to sing out of. And they would tell you to sing out of hymn book number three, turning to whatever psalm or chapter... Uh, you were in. Guys in the back, I'm a little loud. I feel like I'm ringing tonight. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, they were probably collected, these psalms, gradually as corporate worship formed and developed along with temple worship in Israel. It is likely that by the time of Ezra, who knows who Ezra is or knows uh, or is aware of Ezra? Some of you are always timid when I ask the question. You're like, hey, he might call on me. I'm not calling on you. How many know who Ezra is? All right, who was he? Okay. Um, Ezra is the one when they come back to rebuild the temple who helps with the process of rebuilding it, even though it took a lot of time. But he's also a scribe who, in the process as a priest, compiles a lot of the historical books, but also was the one that composed or seems to have compiled many of the Psalms together. It is during his time likely that it took its final form. Each section of those five books concludes with a doxology, 
with the entire of the psaltery ending in Psalm 150 that we read tonight, which ends with seemingly a glorious capstone. Praise ye the Lord. That's what the Psalms are there to do for us. What a grand doxology or a reflection of God's glory they are, in fact. The individual Psalms are often classified according to their uh, content. Uh, Didactic Psalms are those which give instruction. For example, Psalm 119, very lengthy. But if you sit and study Psalm 119, you will find that each of the eight verses that the Psalm is broken into is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Literally, Psalm 119 was the ABCs for the Jewish children as they learned the importance of God's word. Just like you would send your kid to school, you would send them to learn Psalm 119 so that they would understand who their God was, but more importantly, what their God had said to them. The Messianic Psalms contain prophecy, of course, relating to the Messiah. The imprecatory Psalms involve pleas to God for the punishment of the wicked. The penitential Psalms express not only the feelings of a repentant heart, but also an appeal for divine cleansing. They can be found throughout the Psalms. Other Psalms are classified according to their titles. Some are Psalms of degrees or ascent. They were sung at the beginning of worship. As, you would, as they would uh, ascend to the Temple Mount by those traveling to Jerusalem. The Miktam Psalms deal with the atonement or the covering of our sins. That's Psalm 16, and again, especially Psalms 56 through 60. There in those Psalms, you really see the heart of David, who is sorry that he was a sinner, because his sin had been found out. By the way, when you are discovered a sinner, it's always a great idea to turn to the Psalms and remember the confessions of David in those moments. The Psalms highlight the greatness of our God. They confirm His faithfulness to us and they remind us of the absolute need for His Word. That's what the songs teach us. The Psalms themselves are quoted throughout the New Testament, most significantly by Jesus himself. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 24 and verse 44. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus was very aware of the songs, and I have no doubt that when they sung on the night that he had the Lord's Supper with them, or the Last Supper with them, the hymns that they sung were likely drawn from the hymn book of the Hebrews, singing of him. It is the law, the Pentateuch, the prophets, or the truth-telling prophets under the kingly rule, and the Psalms that teach us about who Jesus is and what he did for us. The Psalms, then, are most important to us Literally as important as the law of Moses, according to Jesus. So what is the purpose of the Psalms then? As the collection of the Psalms were compiled, its contents, excuse me, were adapted by the Jews for their actual corporate worship, where they would come in and do this, where they would sing to God, and where His Shekinah glory would settle upon the temple. They would be singing as those events were going on as well as it was used not just for corporate worship, but also for personal devotions. It's how most of us use the Psalms now. We open to a Psalm and our soul is refreshed. 
In the Psalms, you will find prayers from sufferers, hymns of praise, confession of sin, confession of faith, nature hymns or about the creation that God has, and songs that teach us about history, particularly Messianic history. But in each of the Psalms, the focal point is not man, but the Lord. That is the focus of all of the Psalms. And so the purpose of the Psalms could be said to be this, whether the particular psalmist is looking back at history or looking up to the heavens or looking around at his problems, in every Psalm, the writer first looks in faith to God, to the Lord. That's what the Psalms are about, looking to the Lord. So let's deal with a couple of the grouped Psalms, Psalms that kind of fall into groups. I I mentioned them in passing, but I want to mention them just a little bit more uh, here for just a moment. Some of the group Psalms I mentioned are the penitent or the penitential Psalms. And I can never say that right. Uh, It may be pronounced differently, but I think it's called the penitent or penitential Psalms. Penitential sounds like penitentiary, but I think that's what it means. I'm sorry, right? You go to a penitentiary because you got caught and you're sorry. Uh, And so they talk to us about being sorry. Seven of the Psalms fall into this category because they are confessions. Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143. These are the penitent Psalms. These are the ones where the knee is clearly bowed to God in confession and in need. I am sorry for what I've done. I have long ago learned that if you want to help your kids, parents, teach them some of the penitent psalms. When they do something wrong, do not just let, especially in their formative years, I'm sorry. Now, I don't know that they need to confess like David did. I'm in sackcloth and ashes and on the ground. But the spirit of confession is absolutely essential. I remember when I was a boy and I would do wrong, my dad would come in with a notebook. That's how he would discipline me. And when he came in, there would be, here's what you did wrong. Here's what the Bible says you should have done right. Here's what your punishment's going to be. And here's how you should be sorry. And most of the time, many times on that list would be, a psalm, or some portion of a psalm of confession. Now, sadly, Kyle didn't always take to those and learn the lesson, and many times those psalms would have to be reused and rehashed. But by the way, having them in his hip pocket made it easier the next time he had to correct me. The penitent psalms are important because they teach us that we as mere mortals have much that we should confess to Almighty God. The next grouping that you see on the screen there is the Songs of Degrees. We're going to look at those beginning next week, so I'm not going to dive too deep into them. In fact, we're going to look one psalm after another, and I've done that purposely so that we will go through those psalms, leading us all the way to the end of March and Easter. Because if they would sing them as they marched up to worship God, then we too, on that high and holy day of Resurrection Sunday, should be looking towards that in that way. There's a purpose then in why we're teaching it. Now, some of the Sunday nights I'm going to double up. Uh, some of the Psalms only have two verses. And you know me. I mean, I can preach on one word and make it a whole sermon, but I, having two verses, I think I'll group a couple of those 
uh, ascending psalms or songs of ascent as they came up the mount uh, to worship together. There is another group called the imprecatory psalms. Who knows what the imprecatory psalms mean? Go ahead, you can yell it out if you know. I heard, get them, God, and what did you say? Calling for judgment. I like both of those answers. It's calling for judgment to say to God, get them. (laughs) Imprecatory psalms is, I want wrath upon them. Now, I'm not suggesting we should pray those often. But there are seasons and times where it is permissible. In the New Testament, we are guided and guarded by God's grace. And so at all points, we try to demonstrate grace to others. In the Old Testament, grace was there, but judgment was more the predominating influence. Uh, uh, It it was certainly uh, the most obvious thing that you would find in the life of others is judgment must fall. And that's what the imprecatory psalms mean. The writers here call down God's wrath upon those who hate them, but most importantly, defy God. That is the key thing in the imprecatory psalms. It's not just that they're hurting me. You will find that they say, they are defying you and this can't stand. Those psalms are found in Psalm 35, Psalm 37, Psalm 69, Psalm 79, I see a lot of the teenagers really writing these down. I guess, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe the online chats aren't as kind as we thought. Next time they'll just be calling down imprecatory prayers. Uh, Psalm 109 is one of them. Psalm 139 is another one of them. Psalm 143, these are considered imprecatory psalms. These are not so much, by the way, imprecatory personal expressions of vengeance as they are national petitions for the justice of God to be demonstrated or manifest, we might say, for His chosen people. A next grouping that I don't have on the list here, but as I continue to work on it throughout the week, I had some other thoughts that I wanted to put in, and I'd already made the slides, and the end of our week was kind of busy around our house, so I, I didn't add them to the, to the slide deck for tonight. But you could call them the shepherding psalms. Uh, does anybody know the shepherding psalms? There's three of them, 23, and so if they kind of are grouped all next to each other, then it would either go up or down, or maybe Psalm 23 is the middle. And the answer is it's 22, 23, and 24. These are the shepherding psalms. In Psalm 22, we would find the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. In Psalm 23, you find the chief shepherd in his resurrection life guiding his people. And in Psalm 24, you find the great shepherd who is coming in both power and glory with blessing for those that are his. These are called the shepherding psalms because they show us a picture of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Another two psalms that I always link, and it's easy to link them together, is Psalm 119, which I've mentioned, and Psalm 19. Both of them are predominantly about the Word of God. Psalm 19 is great. It is a song. We we sing it all the time. I almost did that tonight. I almost made you sing with me. In fact, that would have been twice. I almost made you sing a cappella with me this morning after church, but I didn't. You're welcome. And tonight, I almost did it, but in Psalm 19 in verse 7 we find about the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It's got a great tune that someone years ago put to it, and it tells us that 
the word of God is more to be desired than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. That's the chorus. And what you do is sing verse 7, go down to verse 10, sing verse 8, go down to verse 10, sing verse 9, and go down to verse 10. And you have a wonderful hymn that we would sing today in the form, maybe not the tune, but in the form and the fashion that the Hebrews would have sung it, only in their tongue, which would have sounded like this. You know, it would have sounded different. But it would have carried the same idea. So those, I call them the Psalms about the Word of God. Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 are Psalms of the Passover. And as the Jews would celebrate the Passover, they would read those on subsequent days as they prepared for and then practiced or participated in the Passover. With all of this in mind, I want us to look at a few generalizations about the Psalms. These are my categorizations. This is by no means foolproof. By no means is it definitive. It is from my mind, so it might not be definitive. It may just be deficient. But it is my understanding in the way I always group Psalms and where I put them. I'm not going to give you all 150 which one, but these are the broad categories. The first one is this, and you can write these down. I didn't have any notes tonight because, one, I wasn't sure how long I would go and how much we'll look at each of these, but I'll at least mention them. The first grouping or broad category is the commitments to praise and worship. You can read in the Psalms, and you will find over and over again, as we did tonight in 150, that the psalmists were committed to praising and worshiping God. If you don't believe me, go back in your Bible, if you still have it open, I hope you do, go back just to Psalm 148. I could have you go back to 146. It's where the praise ye the Lord's actually begin, but I won't because that's a lot of verses to read. But let's just read 148. And when you finish, you'll get the idea that there is a sense in the Psalms of wanting to praise God. Here's what he says at the end of it all. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise ye Him, all His angels. Praise ye Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Praise Him, ye heavens of the heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them... By the way, pause for a second. How fantastic is that? Sometimes we just blow through these things. I have to pause if it catches my mind. I want it to catch yours. The waters that are above the heavens. What is that? Have you ever been to the waters that are above the heavens? By the way, the phrase heaven of heavens means outer space in the Bible. There's three heavens. Wes and I dealt with this just this week. We were were starting a study of Genesis together. And I blew his mind. I said, always remember there's three heavens. What? (laughs) There's the heavens that you breathe, (gasps) oxygen. There's the heavens where you can't breathe, outer space. (laughs) And there's the heaven where God exists. And what he says is, the water that is above the heavens. Apparently, he's talking about the place that God inhabits that seems to be watery in nature. I don't know. It sounds like the English language and the Hebrew tongue ran out of ways to describe where God exists. But he says, even there we're praising God. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle. 
cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. He also exalteth the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, even of the children of Israel, a, a people near unto him. Praise ye the Lord. And he just keeps going the next psalm. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name and dance. Let them sing praises unto him in the timbrel and harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. That's why we praise, by the way, right there. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. That is this book. That isn't just a song anymore. It's prophecy. Let this be in your hand. To execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Boy, there's a great sermon just in that verse. You and I have this wonderful privilege and honor to be called the people of God. We are his holy nation. There is not a king or a tyrant or a government that can do anything to us. And that's the cause of our praise. It's the reason we rejoice. I won't have you turn there, but you could go to Psalm 111 and you would see yet again a praise of worship to God. Take your Bibles, though, and do look back at Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is a wonderful psalm. They are all wonderful, right? It's one of those things that pastors say. Not that part, but just the fact that it's wonderful. Every verse, every chapter, every truth of the Bible is life-changing if you'll take it. If you'll let it sink into your heart. Here's what the psalmist says in the first seven verses of this psalm. They're all 11 are, are great, obviously, but he says this, Oh, Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart, he says. What a truth. What a worship and praise. My point is that the many Psalms that we have And many psalms within the book of Psalms will teach us how we are to praise God. And not only how we are to praise Him, but just what about God we ought to be praising and worshiping. It gives us then both the manner and the mannerism of a heart that is committed to worshiping the Lord. You might say with the psalmist then, Oh, worship the Lord with me. The second category that you can write down is this. There are cries for humility and help in the Psalms. Often when I come across certain Psalms, you can just see this is just someone that's at their emotional end. 
This is someone who's at their physical end. This is someone who is desperate even in their spiritual man. Their cries for humility and for help. Go back to Psalm number 30 with me. Psalm 30. The psalmist says there, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up. And has not made my foes to rejoice over me. He's stating that he and himself had no power over his enemies. But God gave him that. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his. Give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity, or in my health, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth. Girded we, me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to the anything good about me is really just to tell people how good you are to me. That's what he's saying. And not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. This is a cry of humility and a cry for help. When it is needed. Go over to Psalm 131 and we'll look at one more psalm that teaches us this. Again, tonight what I'm trying to do is actually, if I can do it, dance around the psalms that others are going to be teaching. What I'm trying not to do in the overview is teach on any of the other psalms that guys have selected. Because we're going to hear a great many good ones this year. In Psalm 131, here's what the Bible says. It says, a song of degrees of David. I will be preaching on this one so I can take my own material and preach it. He says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted or controlled myself. As a child that is weaned of his mother, my soul is even as a weaned child. In other words, it is longing for more. Oh, it's been satisfied, but that baby, once it's weaned, it's always wanting more. Verse 3, let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. If you are suffering, I can tell you that there are psalms for nearly every hurt in the life of a follower of God. Most of my bereavement counsel that I ever give always begins in the book of Psalms. Occasionally I will start with passages from Job, but I will always find myself back in the Psalms. God cares about us, and He wants us to know that He hears us. 
And that there is a song for us in the prayers that we are to give to him, even for those who are in the greatest moments of distress. The key always to help is from, for help from God is humility, however. That's why I group them together. I cannot come to God demanding things. I can only cry for help when I'm humble. The third categorization that I give you can write down if you'd like, is calls for authority and action. There are psalms that you will read, and the psalmist in the song is summarily saying, okay, God, it's your turn to work. Now, when you first listen to that, you think, who am I to tell God? Well, if God has said it's, it's okay for us to say that to Him, it's okay for us to call Him to action, then don't be afraid to call God to action. In fact, many times God in heaven waits for us to call him to action. That's why singing and prayer and praise to him is so important. Because God is sitting there and saying, it's not going to be important to me if it's not important to you. If you're not going to call me to action. By the way, when we call out to God for him to act in his authority... What we're admitting to is that we will do everything that's necessary under his authority. So that's why it's not a problem in the Psalms when you read through them to call out to God and ask him to work. I know you've said you'll do this. Do this. Because if we know he says he'll do it, then there's a sublime text that we will also do everything we know we're supposed to do. It's foolish, by the way, to call God to action and not act yourself. Not engage in what you... God, I hope you will destroy the wicked. I'm going to go be wicked. (laughs) Good luck. It seems like a pretty dumb prayer because you're praying against yourself. Now, a lot of teenagers do that. A lot of young adults do that. Sometimes us old adults do it as well. But we pray, yes, God, in the sinfulness of this nation, please let me engage in more sinfulness in this nation. Why? But it's okay for us to call for authority and action. Go to Psalm 13. Look there with me. This is always a good one to me. How long will you forget me, O Lord? That's how he starts. Sounds like a a teenage boy or a teenage girl that just got dumped. How long are you not going to text me? Right? How long will you forget me? I had to add that in because the teenagers are stuck in here tonight, so I thought I'd throw them a bone. Forever? That's the next word, isn't it? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say, I've prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. He's calling God to action. He's claiming the authority and position that God has, but he's saying, God, I'm asking you to work. He concludes in verse 6, I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Now, verse 6 makes no sense if you read it immediately after verse 1. But because he's called God to action and he's exercised God in his authority, he now can rest and say, it's in your hands. 
If you've done everything that God expects you to do, then you can pray this prayer. All right, God, I've done my part. I'm asking. You're not telling him, but you're asking him to do his part. It is a call for authority and action. Go over to Psalm 132. I'm not going to read the whole of that psalm, but I want to read a portion of that psalm. Psalm 132. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Lord, remember David. And all his afflictions. Now, this again is a song of degree. We just read Psalm 131. You can see how they build upon each other. He just said, let Israel hope in the Lord. That's what the group going up to the mountain singing just sang. And now he says, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. How he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house nor go up into my bed. I will not give up sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we heard it of Ephratah. We found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacle. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest or to your habitation. Where he's talking about is David wanted to build a temple. At this point, the context and reference is back to God resting on the tabernacle. But what David wanted to do is build a temple. He was forbidden from doing that by God, but he prepared for it. And so what they're saying as they're coming up to the mountain is this temple, this place is where you come down and we're asking you to come down. We're asking you to arise. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. There's a little bit of a foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah there, but here's the point. These people are calling God to act. They're calling God to work in their lives, on their behalf, in their midst. The psalmist often, especially David, is calling upon God to act, to work in his power and according to his nature. The authors of the psalms will always lay claim to God's authority to work. He is the creator, thus he is able and free to adjust and interact in the affairs of men. It brings us to our fourth category. Again, these are broad But psalms fit into these categories as we look at them. The fourth is a confirmation of purpose and plan. The last psalm we'll look at is going to be a psalm taught, so I'll be careful how I cover it tonight so as to not step on. As a pastor, you always want to do that. Those that are teaching these psalms. So if you're sitting out there in the Psalm 1 teacher, do not panic. I'm not going to preach your, I don't think I'm going to teach or preach your message tonight. Because I only have about five minutes left and hopefully you'll go longer than five minutes. In Psalm 1, the Bible, some of you are smiling at that. The rest of you are just staring indiscriminately at me. Psalm 1, you're thinking, that might not be a bad idea. Five minutes is good. Psalm 1 is really the prototype of confirming that God has a purpose, confirming that God has a plan. And I look at a lot of the Psalms, and by the time you start a Psalm and end a Psalm, some of the ones we've even read tonight can fit into multiple categories. You can see that the psalmist isn't just figuring out that God has a purpose and plan, but the point of the song is to carry you through so that you understand that God has a purpose and a plan. By the way, many of our hymns that make them great hymns in our hymnal, 
is because they teach us the totality of who God is, the order and sequence of his mind, the purpose and the plan that he has. Here's what Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now pause for a second. This psalm is telling us, hey, God's got a plan for you. God's got a purpose that you have to live out. You can't just live for yourself. Verse 3, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth, that is the plant, the tree that's planted, the soul, you and I, who is living according to God's purpose and plan, living in his refreshment, living in his presence, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Not might prosper, shall prosper. This isn't something as cheap and vain as your business ventures. God cares how you do business, but he's not writing this so that you might be a prosperous businessman. He's talking about your spiritual existence here. He said, I have a purpose and a plan for you, and if you will plant yourself by the rivers of water, the Spirit of God is the river of water. In other words, plant yourself in the Holy Spirit and plant yourself in the Holy Scriptures, and you're going to be fine. Verse 4, the ungodly don't follow the purpose or the plan. They're not so. But they're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly is death. It shall perish. The whole of the Psalms begins with the confirmation of God's purpose and plan here in Psalm 1. But it certainly does not end there. Dozens of the Psalms tell us of God's wisdom, God's design, God's order, God's purpose, God's compassion, God's mercy, God's grace, God's goodness. They tell us that God wants us to know Him because He already knows us. As you read a Psalm... You do well to see if the psalmist is in it confirming something about God's sovereignty, God's control, God's own divine purpose. For his sovereignty is written to the most profound of the Hebrew songs to start all of it in Psalm 1. So what do I want us to take away in closing tonight? A couple of things. First... I want to encourage you this year to read the Psalms. Oh, we're encouraging you always to read the Bible. So yes, don't stop reading the rest of the Bible, but read particularly the Psalms. I would encourage you, as you know what the next week's Psalm will be, and as we know the teachers, except for maybe a time or two throughout the year where someone may be sick and we can't preach on that Psalm, we'll probably put it in the bulletin that says next week's psalm is this, so that you can be engaged and eager when you come into church on that Sunday. I hope you're always engaged and eager when you come in here, but especially when there's others of our church membership who are giving themselves to study and to teach. The psalms powerfully convey the feelings common to believers of all ages. The nature of Hebrew poetry is especially well-suited for expressing strong feelings and the deepest of human emotions. 
psalms are intimately personal in that they explore the whole realm of who we are. From deep despair to ecstatic delight, from a yearning for vengeance to a spirit of humility and forgiveness, from earnest pleading with God for protection to the jubilant praise for His deliverance. The general principle that can be seen in all of the Psalms is that the writers have a total confidence in God's direction and provision. That's why the Sunday in the Psalms is going with what our theme is from this morning. We want God to direct everything we do. There's no better place to look than to look into the Psalms for that truth. So my prayer is that as we study the Psalms, we would collectively examine the psalm presented each Sunday evening, but that we would personally consume the psalms that are being taught. Sunday after Sunday. I pray that we come with earnest expectation to be moved and motivated by the Psalms because they'll do that. By the way, you don't have to wait for us to preach on them. You can go ahead and read them. It's free. It's in the book that you're holding in your lap or on your device, whatever we have to say nowadays. By the way, the church app even has a free Bible app on there. You can just get it on the church app. You don't even have to get that complicated. It's right there. We try to think for you sometimes. You have to try to not read the Bible around here. I am thankful for Roger's leadership year after year. I'm going to say this in closing tonight. I know that it's been harder for him. He's not here tonight. He's watching from home. And yes, I'm embarrassing you, brother. You're not here to hit me with your stick, so. I'm thankful for his leadership that he gives to motivating and encouraging the teachers. I want you to know as a pastor, of course, I'll be doing the next few weeks, but when others begin to teach, this year is different than any other year. Usually we will hand a teacher curriculum and material so that they have at least an outline and a guideline to teach from. This year, every single guy that's teaching... Here it is. And we have capable men that can do it. I am excited. So beginning next Sunday, I pray that you will come reading Psalm 120, the first of the degrees, as we begin to ascend to the moment of worship that would be at the temple. For us, it'll be at Easter. So that we see God as the Israelites would see Him, but also as we as fallen human beings, saved by grace, come to Him. Oh, I'm excited about this year, especially on the Sunday nights in the Psalms. They're going to be truly wonderful. Father, help us.